Charlie Wright is an investment advisor representative with Partner Vest Advisory Services, LLC, an SEC-registered investment advisor. The views and opinions expressed by our guests are for informational purposes only and do not necessarily reflect the views of Partner Vest Advisory Services, LLC, or Charlie Wright. Partner Vest and our guests are unaffiliated companies. No information in this discussion is intended to provide investment, tax, or legal advice to any person, nor is it an offer to sell any security. Welcome to the Strategic Investor. Join us as we interview some of the world's most productive asset managers and uncover sophisticated and unique investment strategies in the markets. Here is your host, Charlie Wright. Hello and welcome to Strategic Investor Radio on octalkradio.net, where we bring you investment strategies you are not hearing elsewhere. You're welcome to contact us at info at strateginvestorradio.com and go to our website to hear podcasts of all of our interviews and shows, strateginvestorradio.com. Today is August 14, 2015. We are very pleased to have with us, I'm Charlie Wright, and we're very pleased to have with us Charles Biederman, founder, chairman, portfolio manager for Trim Tabs Investment Research. He speaks to us from their headquarters in Sausalito, California, and they also have offices in London. England. Charles, welcome to Strategic Investor Radio. Thanks for having me. So, Charles, uh, you have an interesting background. Uh, You have an MBA from Harvard. Uh, You were at Barron's Magazine for many years, and in 1990, you started Trim Tabs. Uh, You're the only firm that I know of that focuses on stock liquidity as its uh, investment strategy. So give us a background of yours and Trim Tabs and how you have evolved to become what you are today. Sure. Well, when I was at Barron's, I uh, I ended up, I talked to Alan Abelson, who was editor of Barron's. Uh, I went to Harvard Business School, that I see Barron's. And I, yeah. uh, when I was at Harvard Business School, I interviewed Alan Abelson for some reason, I don't even remember, and talked my way into a summer job. And then I talked my way into a job as Alan Abelson's assistant at Barron's after I got my MBA. And learned how to be an investigative reporter, how to follow the money, and like that. So in 1990, decided to go back to the equities market after the real estate market was not kind to me, busting out in 80, the 88 bust out in New Jersey. I started selling short-selling ideas to my hedge fund friends that I met when I was at Barron's, and the first short-selling recommendations I made were the same banks that had lent me money and uh, forced me into bankruptcy, so I made money as they went into bankruptcy. <laughs> and then we, uh, in 95, short-selling stopped working. There's so much money coming into the market, I started tracking all the money coming into the market. And uh, all the in- mutual fund inflows surged, and we saw the surge going in through uh, at the end of the 90s. And in the, uh, in the nine, and I was tracking supply and demand of money flows and shares of stock. So, like I wrote, I wrote in January of 2000 that the market had to crash. Why? Because insiders and IPOs, the the shares unlocking from the hot IPOs of the 90s, there would be about 70 billion a month of new shares being sold from. Uh, and there wasn't 70 billion coming into the market at that time. It was much more than the amount of money available to buy shares, and the market had to crack. I was three months early. 
that basically I, uh, I was selling my research on supply and demand to the Goldman Sachs of the world. They ended up being a minority investor in my company. A third of the biggest hedge funds on the planet are or have been clients of mine, all because we look at all there is in the market are shares of stock and money. In reality, they're just transactions that occur. And nobody had taken the trouble to count the changes in the number of shares available at any at a point in time on a daily basis and changes in the amount of money available to buy shares. So if you know the amount of if you know the changes in the number of shares available and changes in the amount of money available, you should be able to predict what the market's gonna do over the near term. All based on supply and demand, having nothing to do with earnings interest rates, what the Fed's doing, whether Janet had coffee or or not, or I don't know. Does that make sense? Well, it, it begins to make sense. My first question would be here, Charles, that uh, since Benjamin Graham wrote his first book, the whole world of Wall Street has been focused on fundamental analysis, looking at uh, earnings and profits and cash flow and, and uh, P.E. ratios and the like. And what you're saying is let's not look at fundamental analysis. Let's look at... Uh, liquidity in the marketplace. Uh, so that puts you at odds with him and most all of Wall Street. Uh, how does that sit? Well, except that uh, I'm not saying don't look at fundamentals. I'm saying look at supply and demand before you look at fundamentals. Okay, okay. And, and, that, and, and uh, how do you look at supply and demand? I mean, every day the same number is bought and sold. Uh, how, how, do, how do you measure supply and demand as you define it? Well, every, like, since the, here's specifics. Since the end of 2011, if you added up all the money that went in and out of U.S. equity mutual funds and U.S. equity exchange traded funds, if you added all that up, it came to zero plus or minus 100 billion, you know, over five years is, four years is like, you know, is around zero, no new, so, but where did the money come from that took the stock market, the total stock market valuation at the end of 2011 was $19 trillion. It went from $19 trillion to $27 trillion today. How do you go from $19 trillion to $27 trillion? Companies reduced the number of shares outstanding by a trillion six over those years. How did they reduce the share count by a trillion six, you might ask? Uh, $800 billion was due to share count reduction, where the buybacks were greater than all the new shares issued by companies. Another $800 billion came when public companies were bought for cash meaning those shares were all retired, disappeared. So over the, uh, from the end of 11 to now, we've had a trillion six worth of stock disappear. So consider that 80% of the S&P 500 is owned by institutions. Right. And when the in, and institutions typically have a constant cash level from zero for an ETF to... 5%, whatever. You know, everybody has their own cash bogey or amount of cash they like to keep. 
So when the amount of shares in the market declines and companies and uh, investors get more cash, they have to replace the lost shares to get to their cash target, meaning more money starts chasing fewer shares. Okay, okay. And, and there have also been fewer shares because there have been companies uh, who have left, uh, either become private or... Uh, well, that's where the share count uh, reduction yeah. comes from when they're taken over by other companies. Well, right. Warren Buffett's buying precision castways for 30-something billion dollars. Those shares are disappearing. The institutions that own those shares now have $37 billion with which to buy other shares. So... From they have to re, you know replace those shares from a smaller pool, and it leverages up overall stock prices. Okay. So while fundamentals are important in determining which company versus another company, if you're looking at the overall market, you have to look at supply and demand of cash and stock. Okay, so you know, in the past, what we've often heard is is uh, two particular uh, thoughts about investing. One is don't fight the Fed, and the other one is the trend is your friend. Now, what you what I hear you saying is don't fight the company. Well, in any market, the house has an edge, or else the market wouldn't exist. Uh, in the stock market, the house are the public companies; it's their shares. They know more than you or I do about what's going on. So if they're reducing the share count, that must mean they like what they see. And the other point is that the people who run public companies make more money from a higher stock price than higher earnings. They make most of the U.S. companies are compensated. With, uh, the people who run companies get equity. They get free stock or various forms of, you know, uh, equity owners. Basically, they have a bigger interest. Their net worth goes up more when the stock price goes up than if the profits of the company goes up. So they are willing to, if they, and of course, the other part of it, if they see things are bad, they would probably want to sell shares to make sure their company has enough money to pay their salary. So in the past, when companies were net sellers, we wanted to be net sellers. When companies are net buyers, I want to be a net buyer. The only time that didn't work was 2009, when companies were huge sellers of stock, the market went up, and, and afterwards the Fed admitted that it was fixing the market like it has been ever since. Okay. Well, that that's a very, very interesting uh, strategy. Now, without getting into the, the tall weeds here, Charles, how do you measure uh, these things of what the companies are doing with, with their stock? Well, every day, their buybacks are announced, and cash takeovers are announced, and new share offerings are announced, and insider selling is reported. And we track all that every day. We track inflows into every, in and outflows from every exchange traded fund out there and about 7,000 mutual funds every day. So we track the changes in the number of shares and the uh, amount of money available on a daily basis to the extent trackable. 
you know, obviously what individuals do net net nobody knows except the brokerage houses themselves and they ain't telling. That's how we track it. And over the years, again, uh, the reason we went into money management was company like Goldman Sachs owned the minority stake in my company because we were the only ones who provide the supply and demand information on a daily basis. And before the Volcker rule was enacted in 2010, every prop trade proprietary trading desk on Wall Street was a client of ours. Then Mr. Volcker says that companies like Goldman Sachs cannot trade for their own account. They can only trade for customers. So we, I lost half my business that day. So I decided that let's take what we've been selling to the, the smart guys and make it into a retail product so that the average investor can take advantage of the strategy. And so we came up with TrimTab's Float Shrink ETF, TTFS is a ticker symbol, and we've gotten five-star Morningstar ratings uh, for as long as we've been eligible. And that buys the 100 companies, 1% each, that are growing free cash flow the most. Again, I said, you know, I don't ignore fundamentals. Free cash flow is the only fundamental, by the way, that uh, the tracking it, you can out- outperforms the market. Companies that are growing free cash flow and using a portion of that free cash flow to reduce the share count. So okay. that's like buybacks minus all new share issuance options, conver- any conversions, backdoor sales. Uh, we just look at share count. So when companies are reducing the share count and using free cash flow, typically, well, in the past we've done well. Great, Charles. We need to stop and we need to stop and take a quick break. And when we come back, we really want to focus on how the individual investor can benefit from this research that you do. We're talking with Charles Biederman, founder, chairman, and portfolio manager for Trim Tabs Investment. Talks to us from Sausalito, California, and we'll be right back. According to the consulting firm Strategic Capital Allocation Group, every decade since 1900 has experienced at least one bear market, and several have experienced as many as three. So how do we protect our principal from these declines without missing the gains when prices rise? At Strategic Investor Radio, we interview asset managers with unique strategies designed to both protect and grow your investments. Investing is not rocket science. It's rocket fuel if you know how to harness it. For podcasts of our interviews, please visit us at strategicinvestorradio.com. And now back to Charlie and his guest. Thank you, Paul. We're talking with Charles Biederman, founder, chairman, portfolio manager for Trim Tabs Investment Research. And uh, Charles, so I, I see here and I understand that your key premise of your approach then is that stock prices are a function of liquidity, which is the amount of shares available to buy and the amount of money available to buy them. So you focus on supply and demand rather than as opposed to strictly fundamental value. So right. do, do you sell your research to let's focus on the individual investor do you sell your research to them uh you have some etfs i understand how can the individual investor benefit from the research that you do here 
Well, our research is for more for institutions. It's a minimum price of like fifteen hundred dollars for individual investor, and it goes up to uh, uh, data feeds. It runs into a significant amount of money. But I don't really recommend our research unless you're an investor with uh, you know seven eight figures in the market. Uh, rather, our, we have two publicly traded funds. One, the aforementioned Tribtabs Flow Shrink ETF which invests in companies growing free cash flow. And you know, you're absolutely right when you said price is a function of liquidity. And the other part of that in there is that free cash flow is the most important metric there is for companies. If you invested only in companies growing free cash flow over time, you would have outperformed the overall market. Uh, free cash flow... You know, after all, the design purpose of business is free cash flow. You want to make more money than you started with, or else why are you in business? That's what my wife reminds me of uh, most every week here, Charles. So free cash flow is the most important number, and we add that to supply and demand. On the other hand, outside the U.S., we have a fund we just launched June 3rd, TrimTabs International Free Cash Flow, FCFI is the ticker symbol, trades on the New York. And it invests in the 10 largest non-U.S. markets, not including China, uh, Canada, Germany, Switzerland, Netherlands, France, Japan, Hong Kong, Australia, Korea. I think that's 10. And the, the, fast, the companies in those markets growing free cash flow the fastest. And in those countries, they make so much companies that are growing free cash flow the fastest, they don't do float share count reduction because they don't get paid. They're not incentivized with equity the way American top management is. So those companies, uh, those companies outside the U.S. growing free cash flow pay a lot of dividends. The dividend yield on that fund is 3.5%. Now it's not... You know, it's foreign dividends and this sort of taxes, extra whatever, on the uh, foreign dividends. But the fund itself yields three and a half percent, and companies growing free. So these are the fastest growing non-U.S. companies. How you beat a you know the how you beat a down market is by dollar cost averaging through it, and what you invest in. Over time, it's been proven that if you invest in portfolios of companies growing free cash flow faster than the rest, and in addition in the U.S., if they use a portion of that cash to reduce the share count, and if you keep buying during the downturn, assuming that the global economy is going to recover and grow over time, you will outperform rather than trying to get out right before the top, get in at the bottom. You know, I know very few people who can do that well. I don't know how to do that well. Okay, so so you're not really focusing on market timing or when to get in or when to get out. You're just saying, hey, market's going to have ups and downs, and when the market goes down, that's a good time for us to deploy more cash. Yeah, the, the problem with most people, dollar cost average only when the market's going up. And they get scared about buying when it's going down because they think it'll keep going down forever. And that's where you need, you know, in order to profit over the long term from a bear market, 
you have to be in the right stocks for the long term and keep buying during the downturns. Gotcha. Okay. And uh, so your your approach to focus on uh, on on this liquidity. Uh, basically, uh, how has it has it worked? Well, what's the best market environment for that in comparison to the overall market? Is it going to outperform the overall market in a strong bull market? Should it outperform the overall market in a strong bear market? What about in a flat market? How does it perform in various markets? Well, so far, and the uh, TTFS has been around for uh, three and a half years, a little over three and a half years, and we each year it's uh, it's up about uh, 110%, and the overall market's up about 80%, and it, it's outperformed each year. And I say the reason is it's because it's investing in companies growing free cash flow and using a portion of that to reduce the share count. In a bear market, I think that portfolio will outperform the overall market even more. Remember, in a bear market, you don't want companies that aren't growing free cash flow. (laughs) You know, people get scared. Companies that are losing money in a bear market, you want to stay away from. Right. Now, now I've you know, seen it, I, I've seen Charles on on uh, your website that you follow about four thousand companies. Is that correct? Well, that that you know our, our Bloomberg machine does. I see. Okay, and so you you keep tabs on about four thousand, and in your ETF, for example, that takes the top one hundred. What right. percentage of those are small cap, mid cap, large cap? Are they primarily larger companies? Primarily smaller companies? How, how does that work? Well, in it's the average is about ten, eleven billion in market cap. I mean, not average, but median because Apple's in there and some big companies are in there. But Apple only has one percent. It's not market. It's not market cap weighted like the major indexes. So we have a hundred companies, one percent each. Okay, so it's not just the the, the bigger companies. You've got lots of no, uh, smaller we're, companies. No, we're considered a mid cap strategy uh, by. Uh, the powers that be. Okay, okay. Well, we we, we appreciate knowing that. Uh, so, so tell us, uh, Charles, a question we always like to ask in regards to your strategies here and to your services. What keeps you awake at night? Well, if the people in charge uh, be, between the uh, our president, our central banks, that uh, if they keep beggaring the the economy and don't get out of the way eventually that we might not have the long-term recovery that we should that we should have and in other words when basically in the united states in my opinion of course the united states europe and japan we have no growth policies where it's more expensive and harder to start a new business to do anything new than before and the only way you have growth is when there's more new things that starting than than before. And if they, you you have to pay more money, minimum wage, you have to have more benefits, you have to do, you know, you you can't compete here, you can't do this. I mean, you know, it's just harder and harder to hire people. Uh, It's more expensive, and so there's not going to be as much growth. And how the United States and Europe and Japan have been paying its bills is by printing money. 
And at some point in time, I don't know how many years from now, a year, two, five, ten, the world is going to say you can't, you know, like your kid. You have a kid who keeps paying their bills because they borrow money. Or at some point, you you got to start making money. You got to pay your way. You can't just print money or borrow money to pay your bills. Now you're not pre- you're preaching to the choir there, Charles. So we really appreciate those those comments and uh, no disagreement from us at all. For our listeners, Charles, also we'd like to ask, what book on investing would you recommend? Well, I tell people who are not really, you know, who like to, who want to know more about the market and who aren't like professionals, Andy Tobias keeps updating his The Only Investment Guide You'll Ever Need is what I recommend for people to read to, uh, you know, to really, so that they're not just, if they have questions, if they don't really know terms or phrases, you should, that, that's the book to get. And I'm sorry, I missed that. What, uh, say it again. The only investment guide you'll ever need. Is and that's by who? Uh, Andy Tobias. Andy Tobias. Yeah, recognize the name. Okay, the only investment guide you'll ever need. Great. Yeah, it's been in print for, he's, uh, we went to Harvard together, and it, I think it's in print for 40 years, and he keeps up okay. to every few years he does a new version. Okay. Uh, so, so give our listeners your contact information here, Charles. Well, Charles Biederman. Uh, com is the blog site. You can go to trimtabs.com for the stock market information, or if you go uh, trimtabsfunds.com, has the all the information about our ETFs. And, yeah, I, I think that's pretty much... That, that, that should do it here. Yeah. Okay. Well, Charles, thank you very much for uh, joining us today. We really appreciate it. And uh, so give us your final words for our listeners here. The biggest danger to the markets and the economy are when the people in charge are not as smart as they think they are. <laughs> No, no, <laughs> Charles, <laughs> no argument there, no question about it. That that can apply to lots of subjects, and we can start with the world of uh, finance. Yeah, no question yes. about it. Uh, <laughs> Let's leave it at that. Okay, so thank you very much, Charles. We, we appreciate that. We've been talking with Charles Biederman, founder, chairman, portfolio manager for Trim Tabs Investments, talking to us from their headquarters in Sausalitos, California, also with offices in London, England, and you've been listening to Strategic Investor Radio on octalkradio.net, where we bring you investment strategies you're not hearing elsewhere. Please contact us at info at strategicinvestorradio.com and go to our website to hear podcasts of all our interviews and shows, strategicinvestorradio.com. I'm Charlie Wright, wishing you an enjoyable week and productive investing. You've been listening to The Strategic Investor, your source for compelling investment strategies from some of the most productive asset managers in the industry. For unique investment strategies, visit us at strategicinvestorradio.com. Investing is not rocket science. Charlie Wright is an investment advisor representative with Partner Vest Advisory Services, LLC, an SEC-registered investment advisor. The views and opinions expressed by our guests are for informational purposes only and do not necessarily reflect the views of Partner Vest Advisory Services, LLC, or Charlie Wright. Partner Vest and our guests are unaffiliated companies.
No information in this discussion is intended to provide investment, tax, or legal advice to any person, nor is it an offer to sell any securities.